Hello, welcome to the first episode of Joe's Media Corner. I'm Joe Strupp. For those of you who don't know me, I'm a 30-year journalist. It's covered issues ranging from politics to education to the environment. But for the past 18 years, my focus has been on media and press issues. First, as an 11-year reporter for editor and publisher, that Bible of the newspaper industry, I reported on everything from the Pulitzer Prizes to business deals and news ethics. Now, earlier this year, I ended an eight-year run at Media Matters for America, the excellent media watchdog organization that allowed me to expose poor reporting and conflicts of interest at any number of news outlets, from Fox News to the New York Times. More recently, I've turned to other outlets, but continue on the media beat. I have a book coming out next month on media issues, more on that later, and hopefully more discussions here on the corner that will interest you. Now, I'm lucky for the first episode to have Olivier Knox. He's the president of the White House Correspondents Association and a veteran White House reporter, now at Sirius XM Radio. We chatted on Tuesday about the latest dealings with the Trump White House, efforts to improve the number of press briefings, and of course the annual correspondence dinner. But what Mr. Knox also revealed was that the constant anti-press attacks by Trump have sparked real threats against reporters, prompting at least three of his colleagues to bring in security details to protect them. Let's hear about that and more with my discussion with Olivier Knox right now. How are you doing, Olivier? Doing very well. How are you? All right. And you, of course, are the president of the White House Correspondents Association, which uh, you took over, what, in July or June? In mid-July. That's right. Mid-July. And that's an annual change. They they uh, they uh, at least elect a president every year, or is it something that can be served more than one year? So basically, you when you run for the board, uh, you run for a three-year term. And if you also run for president, then you become the Correspondents Association in your third and final year on the board. And you've been on the board how long then? This is my third year. Excellent. And now, since you've been president, what's it been like? I know there was some issue in the, just the last few weeks about fewer daily press briefings at the White House. Um, yeah, the, the two flashpoints we've that really affected things. Well, we've had two flashpoints. One was the the uh, White House uh, barring a uh, CNN reporter from an event that any reporter on the White House grounds was allowed to attend in retaliation for her, her asking questions in the Oval Office. And I, I made it very clear in a public statement that that was unacceptable. Right. That was the um, 25th. I know your statement went out. And... Uh, and then there are other there's a there are a lot of other issues, most of which you don't see unless um, unless we unless our conversations sort of collapse. And so um, the daily briefings is an issue that I know the the Correspondents Association membership is upset about. They're upset about losing this opportunity, this regular opportunity to ask questions of the press secretary and sometimes other senior officials. And so I've I've raised this issue with uh, with this White House. Um, you know, I, I, I freely agree that. Or freely accept that the daily briefing can sometimes um, feel more like uh, the the bar in Star Wars than an exercise in, you know, democratic accountability. But the fact of the matter is, it's one of the few, uh, one of the few things that really shows that the most powerful institution in American political life is not above being questioned. And so, it's uh, it's pretty important. And what has been done to bring? Is that something you think will will get better, or you just the press corps is just sort of dealing with it and, and get, obviously getting the news in other ways? Well, I mean, the, the, it's important. While the briefing is obviously the most visible thing that we do, um, it's not the end all and be all of White House reporting. I've told people for years, in fact, I think a quick internet search will turn up this comment that I've made before, 
that covering the, the best way to cover the White House is not to cover the White House. It's to talk to Congress or the Pentagon or the State Department or Health and Human Services or think tanks or former officials or foreign embassies. Um, you know, you're basically as a reporter, you're looking for overlap of information without overlap in the interest of keep interest in keeping that information secret. So people are still getting most people are still getting information. The briefing is really important, I think, for. Uh, a lot of uh, this, I don't mean this in a derogatory way, a lot of smaller outlets that don't have senior officials on speed dial and have trouble getting their emails returned. So I've got some some colleagues doing really important work on a range of issues like, say, uh, government regulation, and they have a harder time getting answers. And so historically, the briefing has been a good place for them or for regional outlets or for some foreign outlets to get a question in. Now, let's get your quick background. You were at Agency uh, France Press for 15 years? That's right. I was uh, at AFP. It's the third largest international news agency. I was there for about 15 years. Um, I went to uh, Yahoo News in February of 2012 as their first ever White House correspondent. Um, and then I came to Sirius XM in April of this year, making the jump from uh, from print to radio and becoming Sirius XM's chief DC correspondent. And what is your uh, background? You are from what's your great growing up and education and, and where did you get started in journalism? Oh, so uh, American dad from Connecticut, French mother from a small town between uh, Nice and Monaco. I grew up half in Paris, half in Middlebury, Vermont, where my parents taught for about 30 years. Uh, I went to uh, I did political science and Spanish as an undergrad. Um, I noodled around New York City as a paralegal for a couple of years, went to graduate school at the Johns Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies, SICE. Uh, and late in my second year there, uh, I went out with uh, a bunch of us went out with one of our professors and she went around the table and said basically what our careers would be. And she got to me and she said, Olivier, really the question for you is where you're going to be a reporter. So you, and all my knew friends, early on, you knew early on? They, well, well, not that early. I was, I was, uh, I was about to turn 26. Um, and I honestly wasn't sure. I, I'd been working for a, a big French paper in D.C., but it was uh, a way to pay the bills more than anything else. Um, and, uh, and I thought about it. And I thought, yeah, you know, I can, I can do this. I, I, I spent my life explaining America to my French friends and, and uh, the world to my American friends. So why not, why not try it professionally? And so then you went to college where? In Middlebury? No, I went to Columbia in New York City. Columbia University. And to yep. the undergraduate or also graduate school of journalism? No, no, just the undergraduate, uh, international relations in Spanish, um, and I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life, but I, I knew I wanted to spend a couple of years in New York after graduation, and so I did, and I, I worked as a paralegal for a mid-sized firm that I think has since disappeared. Um, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think it was my fault, but they've, I think they've disappeared, um, and then to grad school, and, uh, and then to AFP in uh, July of 1996. And what was your first beat for AFP? Well, I spent two years on the copy desk doing editing, doing translation, um, backstopping, which basically means, you know, the AFP reporter would be at a press conference and I would be watching the press conference and helping them to take notes. Um, and then my first proper reporting assignment was uh, I applied and, and was granted the uh, the congressional beat in very early 1998. And, and that turned into that turned into something, as you know, um, all of a sudden I found myself covering the single biggest story in the world, which was the uh, the process leading up to Bill Clinton's impeachment. So you were covering the impeachment. I was, I was. It it, it gave me 15 extra pound and an eye twitch. It was a exciting but very difficult assignment, obviously, and and really high, really high profile. I mean, it really was the biggest story in the world for a long time. Now, the fact that you reported for AFP and then for Yahoo and Sirius, these are very newer, uh, non traditional news outlets. 
Um, and now they're obviously in the mainstream and you being on the White House uh, Correspondent Association board and now the president. What do you think that says is the expansion of the media outlets a good thing, a bad thing, just the progress of where we're going, that they're getting the uh, the respect and attention that they didn't get maybe 10, 15 years ago? Um, what does that mean for sort of how the White House and news is covered um, to have a serious XM in the position where AP is and the New York Times and, and at that level and even higher level considering you're the president? Well, you know, we've had uh, we've had AP radio, we've had uh, a lot of other CBS radio, ABC radio. Radio has been a, a part of right. the press pool for a very long time. I think I don't know that Sirius necessarily changes that dynamic very much. Certainly, having having Yahoo News though, which was uh, an online only uh, outlet, I think that made a, a little bit of a difference. But essentially, you know, I'm still a fairly AFP is the oldest uh, news agency, so I, I have a very traditional background to start with. Um, and then the stuff I was doing at Yahoo, I mean, I, I obviously, from a newswire to Yahoo, there's a huge change in the fact that you are encouraged at Yahoo to write with a little more attitude, a little more tone. You don't need to keep it uh, extra, extra saltine dry. So that makes a, a little bit of a difference. I think the proliferation of outlets is, in general, a good thing. Mm. Um, as long as, long as uh, I mean, there are other corrosive trends in, in the news media that I think are, are a little problematic, but I think that uh, I think the proliferation of outlets is not by itself a problem. I think where you get a problem is that you have a, a situation now in America where we don't seem to agree on the facts at all. We don't have as much of a shared base of information. And I think this, I can't tell whether this is a, the, the, the cause or result of some of our uh, polarization, but I, I, that, that worries me a little bit more. And when Donald Trump came in, there seemed to be uh, an immediate clash with the White House press corps, the White House correspondents, one of your predecessors was having having to really take on a lot of uh, issues, and that seems to have settled down somewhat. Is that just a matter of time, or has the press corps just kept it behind the scenes more? How, how do you rate the relationship now with the, when Trump first came in, and it was, it was pretty volatile because of who he is and because it was such a new thing? Well, it, it, it really kind of depends on, on which... Um which part of it you're looking at. Obviously, uh, it's deeply unsettling to have the president refer to us as the enemies of the people, uh, which for the record, we are not. Yes, and fake uh, news is another. And fake news, statements. right, which fake news, which started out, by the way, as a way of describing entirely made up international conspiracies um, and that he's applied to us instead. So that part's not good. Um, you know, I, 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 I've said before, and I'll tell you, you know, I, in late 2000, uh, a Gore supporter hopped into the press pen and threw my laptop uh, to the ground. In 2004, a Kerry supporter threw batteries at me and a Bush supporter spat at me, obviously at separate events. So it's not like this stuff hasn't sort of happened before, mm -hmm. but I still, I, still divide my, I still divide my career into pre and post uh, February of 2017 because that's when the president called us the enemies of the people. And um, a couple of days after that, I was driving my kid, I think, to soccer practice or something like that. And he burst into tears and said, Papa, is, is President Trump going to put you in prison? Um, and that, you know, that hits home. And it also tells you the reach of the president's rhetoric on this stuff and how dangerous and damaging it, it, it potentially is. So that's, what, that's, that's really the bad stuff. Uh, what the Correspondents Association does is, uh, and this is a little prosaic, but I would call it the practical application of the First Amendment. So mm -hmm. basically, it's making sh making sure that when it comes to chronicling a presidency, uh, it, the the job uh, uh, of telling Americans 
about what the federal government is doing to them and in their name, whether it's minute or momentous, falls to an independent news media, not staffers and relatives. And um, so our, our, one of our big jobs is making sure that when there are television pictures coming out of the White House, they're done by you know, our TV colleagues. When there are photos, they're done by our photo colleagues. Um, when, there are, uh, when there are presidential events, we get in and we are able to ask the president questions, which I will say this president has been very available on that score. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, take, he's taken a lot of questions. Um, it really, really should not be an either or with the daily briefing. I think, I think they serve uh, similar but not identical functions in terms of um, helping to hold the, the presidency accountable. But he, he has been very available and they have opened a lot of events. And, and some of the early hiccups were just that they didn't know what they didn't know. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there are, there are, uh, time-honored ways, for example, of arranging presidential travel. There are time-honored ways of managing what's called the pool, which is the group of about 13 reporters who follow the president everywhere. They fly in Air Force One, they're in the motorcade, et cetera. And they just didn't, they didn't know. And so they learned on the fly, um, you know, how to, how to do things. Um, and like every other president I've covered, there was an initial phase where basically if their predecessor had done it, they didn't want to do it. And, but we've sort of settled into that routine a little bit. That doesn't take away the tensions over the infrequency and, and brevity of the, of the briefings, for example. It doesn't take away the, the, the challenges of managing a president who's attacked the free press like few have before. But um, on a day-to-day basis, uh, you know, we do get we, – we are able to ask the president questions, which is very important. Um, we have ironed out most of the logistical problems, which is also uh, also important. You know, when the president comes out in, say, Japan and makes a public statement, most people don't think about what goes into that. But what mm-hmm. goes into that is making sure the press corps is there and can broadcast, for example, which is a lot of what we do. What is the biggest uh, wrinkle that was ironed out, do you think, in the last year and a half or, or, or um, several things that well, seemed to run better? Just because, like you said, this was a new group that didn't really know how a lot of things operated. Uh, what, what's gotten a lot better? Or has it really? Um, well, one one thing that's um, that's gotten better is they've sort of become familiar with uh, the the pool again. That small group of reporters, they become a lot more familiar with that process, and so we've ironed out a lot of those wrinkles. Um, they have uh, they've gotten better about just a lot of logistical things. I mean, that would be, I suspect, reasonably boring for an audience, but it's. They've gotten they've gotten better on that score. Again, it doesn't erase the other tensions, and I don't want to. I'm not trying to paint this, you know, paint this pink, but it's it's important for us. It's important for our association, which is about I think it's about 400 full members and about 200 or so uh, associate members. It's important for us to be able to do our jobs to have these kinds of logistical things ironed out. And so while uh, while everyone understandably focuses on our one big event every year, which is the, the dinner. Um, day to day, I'm spending, you know, I spend about 15 to 25 hours a week on Correspondents Association business, everything from trying to uh, help arrange a press charter on some presidential travel to making sure that we have enough vans to uh, carry reporters from an airport to the hotel when the president's traveling, all these kinds of things like that. And again, we're talking to Olivia Knox, the president of the White House Correspondents Association and White House reporter for Sirius XM radio and podcast host. What do you think it means to have the president have such anti-news attacks and fake news comments? How how have you seen that affect the way you're treated or some of your colleagues? Uh, I have never, until the Trump era, I'm not aware of of any of my colleagues needing security details. 
And how much has and, security been needed and provided? Well, it's it's varied from reporter to reporter, and I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to name names, but there are several reporters and the, there are several reporters in the press corps who need uh, a security detail because they've had credible threats um, against their safety. Uh, I know of three, but I'm sure there are more. People tend to keep this hush hush because they don't want to encourage you know. When you encourage say security people. detail, you mean? constant or it's they had it for a while and no longer needed and i don't know the, i don't know the logistics i don't know the logistics of it mm-hmm. but security i know that detail provided by their employers we would assume or? yes yep 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 that so that's that's other uh, that yes that comes from threats and 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 those threats you know as i said there's always been there's always been a fringe element that that threatens reporters i mean i used to get very weird letters like actual snail mail letters um but you know, you now have a president who encourages his followers to jeer at us and, and insult us and who's talked about how he'll pay the legal fees of people who beat up protesters and things like that. And it trickles down. Yeah. It trickles down in a couple of different ways. One is, you know, reporters needing security details. But another way is you see politicians at almost every level of American politics now, and in fact, quite a bit overseas, who have seized on the president's rhetoric to try to discredit their own press course. Um, so, so there's an international know, impact on your your colleagues overseas. Absolutely, yeah. Anywhere absolutely, happen more than in other places, or maybe in some places where they would normally attack the press, but perhaps now even more so, where where they didn't really. I think really I think uh, in in places where they didn't really uh, that that's happened a little bit, uh, but also, you know, there are authoritarian regimes all around the globe that um, appear to think they have a green light from the United States uh, to uh, to at least insult their press course. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, as I, I firmly believe that free and independent news media is vital to the health of, of the Republic. It's the only way that you can, um, even try to hold very powerful institutions and individuals accountable. And so, you know, whether you have uh, president Duterte of the Philippines calling people fake news or, you know, uh, the, the French president recently booted his press corps out of the Elysee palace. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff like that. That's very, that's very unsettling. Um, and um, people are sort of camping out on outlets that reinforce their beliefs, you know, um, and they're siloing a lot more. So uh, one of the reasons I miss the physical newspaper, because I'm part of this problem, right? I've, I've gravitated to online. One reason I miss the physical newspaper is I used to uh, come across stories that I would never in a million years have read, uh, but they happened to be next to a story that I was reading. And so I would say, oh, look, you know, interesting, interesting piece about Ebola in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, because of my interest, I probably would have read that story anyway. But there are other stories that I would come across in the newspaper and say, huh, I had no idea about this. Let me read this. And now, you know, if I pull up my, uh, my, my tabs, it's heavily White House and it's heavily foreign policy. And I miss, I miss a lot of good features unless, my, uh, my, my, unless they get flagged for me in, on Twitter, for example. Don't you get a uh, print paper delivered? Or do you uh, online? I, I get it mostly online. I subscribe. You're not alone. I subscribe. No, I subscribe to uh, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, the Capital Gazette, uh, and a site called Vermont News. Just a, a nod to my uh, a nod to my roots. Nice. Um, and I'm thinking of a couple of other local and regional outlets. I think I think sort of. I mean, this has been written and talked about before, but the decline in uh, regional and local coverage is really really oh, terrible. Yes. I'll give you I'll give you one example. You know. Uh, we're having this big nomination fight, um, a big conversation about Brett Kavanaugh and whether he'll be confirmed to the Supreme Court. 
And my understanding is that with recent closures, there are no uh, full-time reporters from uh, either Alaska or Maine in Washington, D.C. at a time when senators from those states are, are pivotal to his confirmation or his defeat. Yes, and I'm sure you can say that a lot about um, statehouse coverage as we absolutely there's so, so absolutely back in that um, and it's all part of the uh, cutbacks in general um, which are too bad to see but I want to ask you another thing quickly and I know you have to go is asking about general work of the correspondence association what what is maybe the job that the depart the uh, organization does and you do that maybe people don't realize that's sort of less understood or less known that's very vital and pivotal to the work? Well, it's not, it's not very glamorous, but it's basically the day-to-day work yeah. of, of making sure that the news media is covering um, events at the White House, events that affect the presidency, uh, both on and off the White House campus. You know, um, you know whether it's something, and it, it, again, it's stuff that's not glamorous at all, but for example, convincing uh, the White House to uh, open the president's opening remarks at, at big fundraisers to at least a print pooler who could report back to their colleagues what the president is telling big donors. Um, that's the kind of stuff that we do, and that's the stuff that no one really knows about because they just see the president's words and don't realize that, 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 the, that, that, that those are the result of a, of a negotiation between the White House Correspondents Association and the White House, and any White House, by the way. It's a nonstop conversation. You know, we, there's this notion that, that we didn't fight with the Obama White House, and let me just dispel that entirely for, for you and your listeners. So we fought all the time. Um, and, uh, and I'll give you just one example. You know, the, the, their big, one of their big flashpoints was that they would exclude news photographers from events that would then be chronicled by Pete Souza, his official photographer, who, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, that's, that's propaganda, right? right. Pete's, Pete's, goal, Pete's goal was to make the president look good. And there was not, a lot, I know there was a lot, uh, that was a, very much an underreported story, or maybe not really, most people didn't realize that the Obama White House was very secretive in many ways. And I talked to some of your predecessors at the time, and you obviously know them better than I, that there was, there was difficulty getting information on certain things. Public information requests uh, would take much longer in, in many cases. And he even, his administration, his, his Justice Department even, obviously went after a few reporters seeking yeah. information. I mean, people, that wasn't I don't know getting how, a lot of attention. I don't know how this got memory hold, but yeah. basically, yeah, you know, they, they surveilled uh, – uh, they surveilled the Associated Press. They declared a Fox News correspondent uh, essentially a criminal conspirator, and um, and and apparently considered going after him under the Espionage right, Act. James, for, uh, Rosen? It was James Rosen, yeah. who who obtained classified information about North Korea and reported on it. Which, by the way, is a part of the job. And there was initially at one um, point an anti-Fox effort by the White House where they wouldn't. Sure, they declared, and I know there was a lot they of declared. Uh, a lot of fallout and 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 uh, response from the organization as a whole, which I think a lot of people liked. That you, the, the reporters really stuck together, no matter who was being uh, accused of or, or, or attacked by the administration. Yeah, and I mean they they declared that Fox News was not a legitimate news organization, and they cut Fox out of a regular round robin interviews. And the other TV uh, networks said they wouldn't take part in those interviews unless Fox were reinstated. Um, and uh, and yeah, that was a that was a fight. And I would say, uh, you know. Fox News did the right thing when um, when this White House excluded uh, that CNN reporter in a retaliatory way, and they came out pretty strongly yes. and said they stood with CNN. Um, so that kind of solidarity is nice. It's 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 uh, it's not always easy to come by, by the way. I mean, there are there are sort of fissured interests. Um, you know, sometimes sometimes we 
sometimes we fracture. And so a big part of the association's job is to try to foster that kind of press corps unity. Um, because, you know, if they can, if they can divide and conquer, then they'll divide and conquer. That's what, that's what white houses do. White houses don't typically like the press very much. We're usually a pain in their butts. Um, and, uh, um, they treat us accordingly. And one other thing I wanted to ask, and again, we're talking to Olivia Knox, the White House Correspondent Association President and uh, White House Reporter and Podcaster for SiriusXM Radio. Now, the logistics uh, of the press briefings are decided by whom in terms of seating and who gets a press pass and who doesn't. Some of it is, is by the White House itself, but some is also by the Correspondents Association. The Correspondents Association... What? The Correspondents Association allocates the 49 seats in the briefing room. There are 49 and seats, but there are also people standing around, or does that include those? There are. No, no. There are people standing around, but we don't we don't police that. Right. Um, we allocate the 49 seats. We allocate workspace uh, in, in the area uh, behind the briefing room where we work. Um, we do not decide who gets a press pass. Uh, the um, there are a couple of different ways to get into the White House. One is to have a, what's called a hard pass, which allows you in during during work hours. It's really more of a, a security document than anything else. Um, um, Who decides press, the uh, press pass? You apply. Uh, you apply, and then the Secret Service conducts an investigation. So it's through the White House or through? The yes, it's through, it's through a uh, it's through a through an office at the White House. It's a non political uh, office that that adjudicates these things. Um, uh, you go through a background check, basically, because essentially, you know, there's a chance, especially if you're in the pool, there's a chance that you'll be within ar- literal arm's reach of the president of the United States. So they want to make sure that, you know, they're not letting crazy people within arm's reach of the president of the United States. Uh, but there's a, but you can also get into the briefing room if you if you uh, request access via the White House press office. And that's how a lot of the people who are standing in the in the briefing room get in. Um, and that's a that's a White House uh, press shop decision. Um, we don't. We have no role in, in policing that. Um, or in who, and then as a, who gets press passes? Yeah, we don't. We don't adjudicate. We, that has nothing to do with us. We but don't. You um, do determine who gets the forty nine seats. And yes, that's right. Yes, okay. exactly right. And I know there was some that, by the way, years ago about who would be in the front row and the second row. And yeah, I mean, I I ran that process a couple of years ago, and let me just tell you, it's a great way to make uh, enemies. Of I believe that almost everybody. Almost everybody, um, but um, but yes, you decide who sits where, and that includes again the 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 workspace that you don't ever see uh, behind the briefing room where we all have our laptops and how much, TV yeah, how networks much workspace have their booths. Is there are there are there just tables with chairs or desks or and how much there are desks and booths. There are desks and booths. So the TV networks uh, and the wires have booths. Radios have booths, and then there is some open seating. Uh, where we've assigned uh, desks to uh, to certain news outlets. Um, so, for example, SiriusXM does not have uh, its own dedicated booth and does not have its own dedicated desk and chair, but a lot of other outlets do. And is there phone lines put in, or is everyone pretty much on their yep. cell phones? No, no, no. There are there. Well, it depends. In at the at the uh, at the tables, uh, people are mostly on their cell phones, but in the booths, they have they all have hard lines. Um, and you uh, you can work with Verizon to get an internet connection as well. You mentioned uh, access to the president. Now he hasn't had a, a traditional press conference in a long time. Um, he has. He's only had. Problematic? He has only had. He's only had one solo press conference at the White House. Well, he does obviously have availabilities when he meets with other leaders. There's some time for questions and and other stops. Is that something that is is necessary to to come back more, or is it just the way this president is, or or was Obama or 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 Bush, were they similar in their limited press conferences? 
Well, I don't have the data in front of me. Um, that would be a good question for Martha Joint Kumar, uh, who's a political scientist who, who taught at, at Towson and is the only political scientist, to my knowledge, who is a regular presence in the, in the uh, news media workspace at the White House. Uh, I would say, you know, every president customizes the traditional tools of communication. And so this president has not done a lot of formal press conferences at the White House. He's done one, really, um, one solo, I should say. But he's done, as you point out, uh, a lot of Q&As with when world leaders come to visit. And then a lot of question and answer sessions when he's meeting with his cabinet or when he's walking out to right. Marine One to go on a trip. Um, there was one weekend last year when he went to his Bedminster Resort in New Jersey and he took like 45 questions over three days or something like that. So he's he's not unavailable. He just he just prefers these kinds of uh, scrums to uh, to the press conference format. Excellent. And I appreciate your time. I wanted to ask you one other thing you did bring up, obviously, the White House Correspondents Dinner. That's every spring. The president has not attended the two that have occurred in his uh, term. Do we expect that to change or, or anything else about the operation to change um, in terms of, of the dinner being uh, being uh, handled in any any new way? Or will things, would, do we expect the president to attend or will he be invited or are things still pretty rocky? Well, w- whether he attends is up to, up to him and up to the White House, obviously. He will be invited because every president of the United States should have the opportunity to come show that they support the First Amendment and they support the role of a free and independent news media. Um, so, so of course he'll be uh, invited on those grounds. You know, I, I would, uh, I don't, I don't see a reason why he would break with past practice of hosting a, a political rally somewhere else in the United States while we come together to say that it's, uh, that, uh, you know, that it, the news media is important and, and, and to celebrate some of the best reporting in politics and otherwise from, uh, from the previous year. Uh, in terms of changes in format, you know, I'm looking at a lot of options and I have, uh, I've put out the word to my membership that if they have strong feelings, they should let me know and I can, I can report that we do not need to tap the strategic unexpressed opinion reserve. Mm-hmm. Um, I, have, I have plenty. I have plenty of feedback. And what do you think is, is an issue that, or, or two that is being discussed that might alter anything about the dinner? Well, I, I mean, I've said, uh, I think that I, I, I want, I, I should say, I've joked that I want the dinner to be, quote unquote, boring. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I think that if, if on the, the Sunday morning in April 2019, if I wake up and uh, all of the coverage of the dinner is about celebrities in the audience, then I will have failed because that's not what I want. I want, I want to. I want, to, I want to follow in my predecessor's footsteps in terms of celebrating uh, the news media, both at home and especially overseas. You know, I, that's uh, as someone who grew up in part overseas. I, I want to make sure we, we understand the international component here. So uh, I, I do want to make it what my predecessors did, you know, celebrate again, celebrate the First Amendment, celebrate the press corps. Um, and, you know, uh, celebrities are obviously welcome, but I really don't uh, I, I don't want that to be the focus of, uh, of my dinner. There seems to be there seems to have been a little bit of a of a of a reduction in that. I know some of your predecessors didn't want to just sort of take the celebrity element out of it a bit and make it a little more low key. Um, you think that's occurred, or is or is the way to go? Um, well, you know, it's it's up to it's up to members who they invite, um, and uh, what we've seen historically is that celebrities, for reasons that it should be obvious, are tend to gravitate towards Democratic presidents rather than Republican ones. Mm. So that's a factor. You know, I don't know. I don't I don't know. I don't we don't really police who our who our members invite. So um, I don't really have a say in that. Um, Has the lack of of Trump being there affected turnout or or response or popularity either way? um, I don't know. Actually, I don't know the answer to that. Um, I I I suspect 
I suspect that the combination of his his absence and his criticisms of you know of the news media might uh, might dampen the interest in uh, some of his most uh, most uh, passionate fans um, that they might not be inclined to attend. I don't know though. I haven't I haven't I haven't really we haven't really studied that question. So I I'm, I'm, I, I would be completely speculating if I if I gave you a yes or no. You think Sarah Huckabee Sanders or anyone from the White House would be invited again? Obviously, she was criticized uh, by the entertainment, or would, would still be wanting to have someone from the White House at least in attendance, or is that yet to be determined? Oh, uh, invited, absolutely. Again, you know, uh, I, I don't, I, I, <laughs> I think that it, it's important for this White House, for any White House, to come show. Uh, we're asking for one night a year here. Come show mm-hmm. that they respect and they value the role of a free and independent news media in in our republic. So invited, of course. Um, you know, and, and I think it it it's a uh, it's a good it's a good statement to to come out and, and say, you know what, uh, we fight with you a lot, but yes, the First Amendment's really important, and we value the job that you do and your colleagues do at a, at every level, state, local, national, international. So uh, invited for sure. When as for attend, let's see. And one thing a lot of people I don't think realize is this is uh, basically a fundraiser. It's you're raising money for scholarships and for uh, efforts for young journalists, and obviously giving awards too. Um, I always yes, like to watch uh... the C-SPAN version. I've been lucky to go to two of the dinners, um, but now I obviously watch it on C-SPAN, which of course shows everything, and you get to see great examples of award-winning work by students and, and your colleagues. And then obviously it's a fundraiser. I know there's no there's no such thing as a press pass to the uh, dinner. Everyone, everyone <laughs> has to pay. Um, and those, that money goes to, to scholarships and good causes, correct? It's our only, so it's our only fundraiser of the yeah. year, really. I mean, we collect a fairly, fairly paltry uh, amount of dues. It's our only fundraiser for the year. It pays for our uh, executive director, who's our only paid staffer. Um, we need that person to uh, provide continuity since we are, uh, we are on these three-year uh, board terms. That's, we are under, that's Steve Toma? That's right. Who was uh, the who's former actually, president and reporter uh, himself, former and White McClatchy. House correspondent president. So, yeah, so it, pays, it, it helps us pay um, for the executive director. And as you pointed out, it also, some amount of the money goes to, goes to scholarships. You know, one really important thing that people kind of um, overlook is, is that this is, uh, a lot of other dinners are, have corporate sponsors and we do not because, right. you know, we don't, we don't want to be the White House Correspondents Association brought to you by. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to stay independent. The other thing is uh, we keep prices relatively low because for a lot of outlets, a lot of smaller outlets, a lot of regional outlets, um, y- you know, uh, we, would, we would risk pricing them out if we, if we raised our prices. And we don't want that. You know, we don't want that with our dues, and we don't want that with our dinner. What are the dues now? Or does it depend on your uh, you know, uh, No, dues are, dues are flat. I don't even know anymore. I sort of reflexively pay them. <laughs> um, um, so I don't know. Ticket price of the dinner is $300. Right. Uh, Which hasn't seat. gone up a lot, I know, in, in recent years. It stayed around, I think when I went about 10 years ago, it was about 200-something. So 300 is probably fair market and it's you know big the big ballroom at the washington hilton um which could be yeah, the biggest ballroom yeah. uh, in existence that's a, that's a big room <laughs> it certainly it accommodates us and our our roughly three thousand people in there but i mean there's bigger in dc but they just yeah. they know what they're doing at the, they know what they're doing at the hilton uh, they know what they're doing and they're they're always very welcoming and they're always very helpful and and so we uh we like those guys um they uh you know there's some of these uh some of the people who uh, who work at the dinner have been doing it for decades 
Excellent. Well, I appreciate your time. I know I went over the time I asked for, so you've been very, uh, very uh, willing to, to talk to us. And again, we've been talking to Olivier Knox, White House Correspondent Association President and Sirius XM White House Correspondent and Podcast Host. And give a little plug for, for your podcast. Well, so it's a, it's actually it's a it's an evening show. It's six to seven Eastern. It's called The Big Picture. It's on Sirius XM channel one twenty four. Um, I do uh, a lot of White House stuff, but I also make it a point to bring in local, regional, and expert journalists in one of my segments uh, to highlight uh, stories that maybe you've missed if you've been watching cable TV. Um, and so uh, it's 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 a combination of uh, a lot of uh, fun and curious things and a lot of important things. Uh, I've had uh, a number of, of pretty good interviews uh, with, uh, say, Mitch McConnell or Nancy Pelosi or Cory Gardner or Chris Van Hollen, people like that. Uh, politics, policy, and uh, as you can guess from our conversation, quite a bit of foreign policy as well. And as I often listen to a lot of things on Sirius, uh, you can also obviously listen to it on demand. That's right. Some yep. Even better because you can stop and go and, and uh, listen to it when you want. But obviously the uh, the uh, initial broadcast, you get the latest version. So that's... That's good stuff. Check that out on Sirius. And again, thank you, Olivier, for your time. And we will hopefully chat soon uh, as your uh, term as president and Donald Trump's term as president continue. Thank you very much. Appreciate thank it. Thank you, sir. Be well. Well, that's it for this week's first edition, Joe's Media Corner. Hope you enjoyed it. Check back next week. And for future episodes, thanks for listening. Down on the corner, out in the street, playing the ball for the plan, bring the nickel, tap your feet. 